Hello film listeners, I'm Josh Wall, and frankly, I love movies. Welcome to my podcast where I dissect films with fellow film enthusiasts and figure out why we love the medium so much. It is December 2nd, and I'm going to be taking you through my letterbox of all the films that I watched in the final weeks of November, from November 18th through November 29th. That's right. It's another diary entry in my film-watching journey. Very excited. Before we get into it, as always, if you like the show, please make sure to like, comment, subscribe, and leave a rating on your favorite podcasting platform of choice. Be sure to follow the show on social media, Frankly I Love Movies, on Instagram and Facebook. And you can follow me on Letterboxd at BigWalls21 for all recent movie reviews. This coming Tuesday, I have another standalone episode. I'm going to be talking about Ali, Fear Eats the Soul, and Rainer Werner Fassbender as an artist with one of my old professors from Ithaca College, Kathy Crane. It's a really wonderful episode. Um, Even if you're not super familiar with Fassbender's work, I highly recommend checking it out because it is a really wonderful conversation, and Kathy Crane is just the best. I can't wait to get that out to you guys. So that will be coming out this coming Tuesday, the 6th of December. I hope everyone had a wonderful holiday season. If you celebrate, uh, I know I watched a ton of movies uh, on my break, Uh, mostly some new stuff. All of this stuff is fairly positive, too, Um, and I'm I'm very excited uh, to go through this with you. So I think we should just dive right in. So on November 18th, I watched, I went to the theater, actually, to see The Menu. Interesting time uh, for movies now because it was very uh lackluster performances uh at the at the theater throughout you know the last part of the summer into the fall um but now lots of stuff is starting to come out and i'm i'm very excited to finally get to see more stuff certain things like the fablemans and glass onion have not come near my theater yet so i am waiting to see those but i i will get to those eventually once they come around come around me probably more so glass onion when it goes on netflix Um, i would have loved to have seen it in a theater but what are you gonna do so i saw the menu in theaters uh this food centric thriller about anya taylor joy and nicholas holt who travel to a remote island with several other rich food snobs uh to have a meal prepared for them by ray fines and then, you know, chaos ensues. And it's a it's a really fun thriller. I actually enjoyed it very much. I, I think people's mileage may vary on the on the satire element of it because it is um, you know, very much about the criticisms of the elite and um, you know, down with the rich and all and all of that. And it's not, you know, reinventing the wheel or anything in, in that department. But it is a lot of fun. Like I was very uh, locked in to the story um, throughout the entire movie. Uh, I think the satire element is kind of the the downfall of it for me because it's not incredibly consistent, not necessarily in terms of its morals, but the way that they are presented. I think it leads throughout the movie with the same message, but at points it just feels like they're just telling you what they believe. And then there are other scenes that feel like really creative and worked around the message and tried to present it in an interesting story way. So in that way, it kind of feels uh, like some of the ideas are half-baked 
but the movie is paced really well. It's got really good performances. I mean, Ray Fiennes being, you know, one of, if not my favorite actor, is always wonderful to watch, and he really commands the screen uh, in this movie. Anya Taylor-Joy is always a very likable presence, though I found her um, her performance in this movie to be a bit strange because I'm so used to seeing her having this, like, uh, these, like, inhuman abilities or almost this supernatural um, ethereal quality to her. And in this movie, she's playing a bit more of a normal person. Like she says, she's just a normal girl from, I think Nebraska is where she's from or Kansas. I can't remember. Um, so it is a bit, you know, different and uh, your expectation of her may, uh, be altered in that way because, because she doesn't have these, um, you know, this extra layer of like superhuman ability that she has, like in a lot of her movies, whether it is connected to the, the supernatural or some, kind of uh entrancing quality she doesn't really have she's not really leading with that here but she still is very good nicholas holt got better for me as the movie went along um i think he was kind of annoying to me and felt a little out of place in the first half he's uh anya taylor joy's partner in this movie and he you know he is the stereotypical foodie and it is definitely he's intentionally you know being annoying and being an asshole but it didn't always work for me. But like I said, as as the movie goes on, it is it is interesting to see what he what he comes up with. And also, Janet McTeer is in this movie uh, from uh, Ozark. She played Helen on Ozark, and she was fantastic in that show. And she's really good here. Um, it's uh, it's just a very uh, interesting movie. Oh, and also, um, Hong Chow plays uh, Ray Fine's right hand uh, person, and she's really great. She's throwing a hundred. She's um, you know very memorable in downsizing. Probably the best part of downsizing. Um, and it's really fun to see her uh, get a way more interesting part in this movie. One thing I will say about my screening of this film is that there were only two other people in the theater with me. And uh, about like 30-ish minutes or so into the movie, two more people came in. And one, it was this uh, middle-aged woman. And she sat in front of me. And then she sat in my row. And then she sat behind me. So she kept moving around. And then there was this other guy, this older guy, who had like one of those. He had a walker with him, but it was on wheels. And it had this kind of sling-like like strap in the middle that he could like sit on if he wanted to. But he mainly used it for walking. And he, and you know how like Regal, uh, they have like kind of the front section and then the, the main section of seats. And, and in between there, the aisle, there's like five or six handicap seats. Well, he went from like every single seat, like on each end, and then eventually he sat in his walker and just started like pushing himself back and forth a little bit. Like as if you would do like when you're sitting in an office chair and you're bored, just like and I was just like, I, 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 I couldn't, I didn't feel like I could say anything in that moment. I was just like, what, what, where has theater etiquette gone? Like, and they came into this movie 40 minutes late. And I mean, again, I'm not going to say anything. I mean, I feel weird. This guy was a lot older and uh, clearly had some issues. So I kind of just let him do his thing. And finally, he settled down and sat down and, and watched the rest of the movie. But I'm always curious when people do that. I've had a few instances, you know, throughout the past few months of people coming into my theater way late into the movie, like 40 minutes or 50 minutes. And I don't know if they're just like, hanging out or waiting for you know they put their kids in one movie and they're just kind of like waiting out of time i i don't know it's just insanity 
All that to say, though, I enjoyed it. I didn't think it was, you know, amazing, but it was fun. Like, I actually very much enjoyed myself watching this. I gave it three and a half stars. It's probably closer to like a, a 3.25 realistically, but I decided to round up because I, I did have um, I did have a good time. The next day on November 19th, my brother and I traveled to Ithaca to uh, their art theater, Cinemopolis, which is a wonderful place to see the Banshees of Inisherin, Mar McDonough's new film starring Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson about two friends on the island of Inisherin off the coast of Ireland falling out and their the roller coaster of emotions that they experience throughout. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Martin McDonough uh, and his movies, as I'm sure you know. Listeners of this show know, In Bruges being you know one of, if not my favorite movie of all time. And uh, my brother really loves In Bruges too, so it's um, it was it was important for us to see this together. And you know, McDonough hasn't made a film in five years since Three Billboards, which I also rewatched, and, and we'll talk about in a minute. Um, this movie is phenomenal. I loved The Banshees of Inisherin so so much. It's it's very small scale, um, just a very like intimate cast, it, it, focusing on you know relationships and <laughs> boundaries and the uh, the the pain that comes with letting someone go or losing somebody, and it's really beautiful. I I love that McDonough, what he does with this movie as a as a director is that he just kind of lets it unfold. The first thirty minutes or so for me, I was kind of like, where is this going? I wasn't totally on board with it yet. It was it was funny. Like, I mean, the movie itself is very funny. Um, in a, obviously, like, a dark humor McDonough sort of way. But I wasn't really sure if the movie was going to blossom in something, into something else, and it, and it does. In fact, a lot of this movie actually reminded me of the films of Brisson, um, which I talked about uh, earlier this year on A Diary Entry. Is because like I feel like this movie, you know, it, it does a lot to show you how dreary and uh, and trapping life is on the island of Inisharan. You know, over the course of the film, because at first you're just like, oh, this is a cute community, and then as it goes on, you're they're like, oh no, no one's ever leaving here. And McDonough isn't doing it in a cynical way. He isn't like, this is awful, life sucks. He's very much this. There's a level of sadness to this film where he's just like, ah, yeah, this is unfortunate, you know, because again, you're watching this friendship, you know, fall apart, you know, throughout and watching their livelihoods be like kind of wither away throughout the course of this almost two hour film. Uh, And there's also a, a donkey character named Jenny. Um, very similar to Balthazar and was our Balthazar. I don't know if McDonough, you know, took clear inspiration from Brisson films or will like own up to that. Um, not that I don't, I don't think he needs to. Um, but it stood out to me in that the, the tone is very similar. And again, the way that everything just withers away and if it feels, it feels sad, you know, if it's melancholic in in that sense, um, which McDonough hasn't examined in, in such a way before. I feel like most of his movies feel way more satisfying than they do melancholic. And they deal with, you know, I mean, 
this is again a prime example of laughing in one scene and then wanting to cry in the next but there's overall i think he's approaching this in a much more tender way than something like in bruges or three billboards but i loved this movie it's only gotten better the more that i've thought about it i gave it four and a half stars i gave it the like it's definitely one of the stands out standouts of the year i would love it if colin farrell and brandon gleason get nominated for their performance the first time they would get nominated so it'd be nice to see them nominated together I also really loved the supporting performances. Um, Barry uh, Cogan plays like a, a kind of like a village idiot friend of Colin Farrell, and then uh, Carrie Condon plays Colin Farrell's sister. And both of them are terrific, particularly Carrie Condon. I would love if she got nominated, even if she won. I think it would be a very deserving um, award. Like she's so great and is the you know voice of reason and someone who is trying to lead with. Um, a sense of confidence but also wanting something more and you see her point of view very clearly throughout and she has you know um, I I don't want to get into spoilers if you haven't seen the film Um, but you know the way that she deals with the situation the central conflict of the friendship dying and her wants to get off the island and do something more are really interesting and pair very well with that with the central conflict Um, it doesn't feel out of left field. It doesn't feel um, misplaced. It's just all really, really great. And again, her performance so fun to watch. She's magnetic. So definitely see the Banshees of Inisherin when it comes around to you. You will not be disappointed. Um, so continuing on the McDonough train, a couple days later, I watched Three Billboards Outside Having Missouri. Rewatched it actually. I saw it back when it came out in theaters. Uh, I saw it twice in theaters actually, and I remember really loving it. It wasn't until after the fact though when I kind of let the movie sit a little bit that I became a bit more aware of the um the wide-scale criticism of the film when it was uh coming out I knew that people had issue with the Sam Rockwell character and um you know the the quote-unquote redemption arc that he has in the film which I would argue isn't even that redemptive as people think it is um but a lot of people were asking like you know this feels a bit more like Oscar bait and McDonough is, you know, focusing on America. Uh, you know, what point of view does he really have on issues like this? And obviously the, the racism element of it. So I I wanted to rewatch it because I was like, is it, you know, has it aged well? Does it still work for me? And I gotta be honest, it it does. I, I still very much enjoyed, you know, the movie. And I think the, the performances are all really great. I think the, the script has some, you know, some really strong elements I think the thing about it for me is uh, Sean Fennessy recently said, uh, like on the Banshees been sharing episode of the big picture, he said that he thinks three billboards is McDonough's most complex film, but it's also his worst film. And I, I don't think that is unfair. I think that that's a pretty um, fair encapsulation of it. McDonough is throwing a lot of ideas out there. This script is jam packed with ideas and not all of them follow through. You know, not all of them really work, but I like seeing him really swing for the fences. You know, I I think there's, you know, a clear mess, maybe not clear, but I think that he has a point of view that he is trying to bring to this. Um, and I think in terms of like the redemptive arc, I think, again, trying to find moral, like solid moral ground in the characters of Martin McDonough where Martin McDonough's work is kind of a a useless venture i feel because you know he 
deals mainly in the gray area and to say that Sam Rockwell goes through like a redemptive arc in this film is then saying that like everything that Francis McDormand's character is doing is on the right so then Sam Rockwell ends on the right side of the uh, of their relationship by the end which I don't think is really the case I think that these are both two terrible people who um you know found each other at the right time like it just it works for me you know I, I don't think it's as bad as people say it is um I think you know given time letting it sit it's not as perfect as or as amazing as I think I, I thought it was back in 2017 but I still really liked it I still thought it was great I gave it four stars I gave it the like and you can really see Martin McDonough playing with visual elements and gaining you know confidence as a filmmaker um, and yeah, I still, I still really like it. So I, I think I, I like Banshee's been sharing more as it feels more, um, put together. The, it, it is the exact opposite of three billboards in a lot of way, but give three billboards a rewatch if you haven't in a while. I mean, if, if it doesn't work for you and you don't like it, I understand. Um, but for me, it just work. It just works. You know, I think some of the, the criticisms surrounding it, um, are a bit surface level, but n- not to you know devalue those opinions or anything but that's just how i kind of see it I, I still think the movie is is really good two days later went back to the theater the day before thanksgiving to see bones and all amazing job by uh uh by the uh by the folks who made this movie to release it the day before thanksgiving is it the best like you know strategy for success no is it funny yes because this movie's about cannibalism um terry russell taylor russell excuse me taylor russell and timothy shall might begin uh an unconventional relationship because of their shared cannibalistic tendencies and they also along their journey meet mark rylance and it turns into a road trip movie and a coming of age story directed by luca guadagnino this movie's phenomenal. I loved it so, so much. And uh, I, I'm, I'm a big admirer of Luca Guadagnino's films. We talked about Call Me By Your Name on the show earlier this year. I mean, one of my favorites. I also really loved his Suspiria remake. As someone who doesn't have an attachment to the original film, um, I, I thought that that movie was really interesting and v- visually impressive. I mean, it's very long, but I find it to be very rewarding. I was glued to the screen the whole time. This movie, though, is like a combination of those two put together. It has the coming of age story and Taylor Chalamet or and Timothy Chalamet um, aspects of Call Me by Your Name, but it then brings in a lot of new stuff. Like, I mean, the body horror aspects like Suspiria, but then you know it's clearly drawing on a lot of uh, the road trip movies of, of Badlands. Near Dark is in here too. It's beautifully shot. Oh my god, it looks so great. And Luca is such a confident director. I think what he does, he creates this world that, again, kind of going along the same lines as um, Call Me By Your Name, of giving you a story that only you, the audience, are privy to. You know, the the whole world is going on. Really, only the, the three main characters are being noticed or know what's going on totally. And it's really wonderful, um, but there's also this really cool mythos to cannibalism in in this movie. You know, the, there's there's beautiful scenery. You know, because of the cannibal aspects of it, but but also because like there's a lot of there's very little like supporting characters. 
like like extras in a way like everything feels like there's this like wasteland quality to it um i mean the mostly you know obviously they're driving through the midwest and uh you know a lot of it's not in the most the populated areas that they're going through but it gives it this kind of like decrepit vibe like totally abandoned in a way and that adds to the outcast uh reading of the film it's just it's really great really my only issue with it and it kind of has not even become that much of an issue in my head since i've sat on it is i found that the ending was a little abrupt like i mean i mean like the last scene obviously no spoilers felt a little rushed and maybe i think that's because like i wanted to spend so much more time in this world and then it was just over and i guess like you know that it can be turned into a compliment because like I wanted to spend more time in the world and what everything that the filmmakers and storytellers were doing just worked for me. So it's kind of turned into less of a, a negative and, and more of a positive in that sense. Um, fantastic supporting performances in this movie. Uh, Michael Stuhlbarg is in this movie again uh, in another Luca Guadagnino film. Uh, he's really great, super creepy. He um, hangs around with David Gordon Green surprisingly didn't recognize uh him uh, i had to look it up uh later but uh they're they're both very good the man who plays taylor russell's dad is really great chloe sevigny plays taylor russell's mother and she's fantastic it's just like all around a really phenomenal movie one of my favorites of the year probably my top five it, it, it's only gotten better the more i think about it i just i really want to see it again i don't really have many negative or really any negative thoughts about it it's definitely not going to work for everybody it asks a lot of the audience but i was just willing to give myself over to it um and i had uh, such a great time bones and all four and a half stars gave it the like wonderful film i actually did a double feature on this day i saw bones and all during the day and then in the evening i rewatched the ice storm uh ang lee's 1997 family drama. You may remember that this was an episode that uh, we did during the Hello Thanksmas series. Tyler Harner and I talked about our first viewings of this movie because it was new to both of us. And if you remember, this was a Thanksgiving movie. And I wanted to go back to it because I remember being really excited about it and blown away by it when I first watched it especially not really having anything to expect. And I was just very surprised at the directions the story takes. And this viewing was so interesting. This, like, this movie is so fascinating to me. It's strange to me that like I did an entire podcast about this after my first viewing. And now it's even almost harder for me to articulate my thoughts because I was picking up on like a million different things that this movie is trying to accomplish. Part of me wanted to dock it like a half star because the first time I was so excited and I was kind of invigorated, like, yeah, this was a great movie. But this time I really understood how awkward and unhinged this movie really is. And so I was really in pain most of the time watching it, which is the real intent of the film. So I guess it's incredibly effective in that way because it achieves what it sets out to do. But I just admire how much Ang Lee, like he's coming onto the American film scene, you know, really throwing everything at the wall and showing you that he's like, I have a great sense of time with the Nixon era coming to an end and this feeling of great change and 
connectivity between these two families and it's really brutal. It's strange that I, I do want to go back to it because it, it, it isn't the most like rewatchable, like exciting movie per se, but I, it, I'm just so fascinated by it. I feel like it's just one that's going to change more over time. So I ended up not changing my rating. I kept the four and a half stars. I kept the like. It's a really incredible film. I just know that it's going to be in my life and change the more times I watch it. So this is not the end of the ice storm for me, for sure. Uh, I don't know when I'm going to go back to it again, probably next Thanksgiving or sometime around then, but I think this one is, is going to stay with me for a while. The next day on Thanksgiving, it is a family tradition of mine to watch Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, the best Thanksgiving movie ever. I also did an episode on this during Hollow Thanksmas uh, with my friend Angela Martino, this is a movie that I have seen so many times and can quote, you know, every line of. Uh, it's a uh, it's a four star film. It's definitely a like. Uh, for for me, like this viewing, like again, it's 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 something I've seen so many times, and it's hard for me to really like articulate anything new. But for this viewing, what was funny was um, instead of watching the DVD, we realized that it was streaming on Paramount Plus which had an HD transfer of it. Now, if any of you are familiar with HD transfers, you may know that the uh, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles Blu-ray, the initial HD transfer, is notoriously awful because of how much film grain is taken away from it and how kind of smooth and glossed over, almost like wax-like the characters look. And I had watched a video, I, I cannot remember who uh, reviewed the 4K of this movie. I'd watched it earlier in the day. Um, and... When we watched this, I was like, okay, let's see if it actually is different. And yes, it, it very much looks incredibly different from the DVD. Now, I think part of that definitely has to do with me watching the you know DVD only for years and years and years. And this Blu-ray being looking so fake, like everyone looks so artificial and just kind of puppet-like. It was, it was very strange. My mother, uh, though, noticed it instantly, too. She was like, this is weird. What's going on here? And I explained to her the difference and she was constantly just like, this is just weird. This isn't right. This doesn't feel right. And then and then she was convinced that the editing of it was different. Like she thought certain scenes were cut differently. And I was like, no, mom, that's not that's definitely not the case. I can I can promise you that. But it does look different. And for her to say that it noticeably looks different is, is kind of big. My own doesn't usually pick up on stuff like that. So it was an interesting change in the viewing experience. It's still a wonderful comedy. It's still great. We'll definitely be watching it next year. Probably, you know, back to the DVD, though. On November 26th, I had to do some homework because of a podcast recording that I was doing the next day uh, all about The Social Network. That's right. Uh, the Social Network will be a standalone episode that premieres at the end of December. Um, very excited to get that out to you guys. Obviously, I don't want to say too much because it was a really wonderful conversation. Just wow, what an incredible movie. It continues to be one of my favorites. It only gets better with time. It's a five star movie, a total like it's it just means so much to me and I um, already laid down the episode for that one I can't wait for you guys to hear it it's with Caroline Young and uh, Chris Massarelli from the snubs podcast you should definitely go check them out two wonderful guests incredibly smart uh, very articulate just lovely people and I was so lucky to have them on the show so social network obviously is great can't wait to get that episode out to you guys all right two more films here on November 28th 
I settled in for a first watch. We're actually ending this diary entry on two first watches, two movies that had been on my list for a very, very long time, and I'm so happy to have crossed them out finally. The first one is Point Break, Catherine Bigelow's 1991 action thriller all about Johnny Utah, played by Keanu Reeves, who is an up-and-coming FBI agent who gets on this case with Gary Busey about a string of bank, bank robbers um, who are... Um, involved somehow in the local surfing community. This movie is insane. <laughs> it's I've heard so much about it over the years, about it being so much fun and ridiculous, and obviously, you know, you, you got Keanu in there, you got Patrick Swayze, you got Gary Busey, Anthony Kiedis shows up at one point. And for the first, I would say, like, it's like two hours. I would say for the first, like, 30-ish minutes, maybe a little bit less, it felt like, okay, this seems like kind of a par for the course 90s action movie i'm having a good time i can see some of the craziness seeping in that they're trying to do with the characters yeah i'm i'm, I'm enjoying myself it wasn't anything glaring there weren't any glaring issues there wasn't anything super special it was just like i'm having a good time and then the real action starts there's more heists there's more chases there's more surfing there's more like everything mixed together and it just like goes all the way up to 11 it, this movie is dynamite it's so much fun and i just had the time of my life for the final 90 minutes um or for the next 90 minutes it was just a really fun time great to see patrick swayze again i haven't watched many of patrick swayze's movies um it's been a long time since i've seen dirty dancing i haven't seen all of ghost um but i mean he's obviously like you know an undeniable presence and he is playing, you know, this very spiritual character, and he's very fun to watch, especially in his um, camaraderie with with Keanu. And the way Bigelow, you know, brings this perverse energy, it's so well made. Oh, I, I love Catherine Bigelow, and she, you know, directed the shit out of this movie, and is, you know, the main reason why this stands out among other action movies. Like, there's, there's a heart and soul to this movie. There are characters. There's, you know, there, there's, a, there's a pulsating nature to the way that the the um, events unfold and I really loved it really my only issue is that the ending like I mean the literal last five minutes feel a little tacked on I felt like they could have or a little maybe not tacked on but a little clunky it could have developed in a in a different way a bit more of a smooth way but other than that such a fun movie it's a four-star film I gave it the like I, uh, I definitely see why this is a favorite among, you know, a lot of film goers, particularly a lot of people I, I noticed that, that I listen to and read reviews of. This was a big movie for them when they were kids, you know, growing up. And that makes sense. I, I guess like for me, you know, similarly, like, you know, movies like Die Hard, you know, when I saw when I was like eight um, and other action movies of that ilk, like, you know, Raiders and other classics like that. This fits into that wheelhouse for a lot of people. And so I and I under totally understand why um, I just never really got around to it. And that's not to say I, I, I appreciate I just appreciate it or that I um, don't share those same feelings. I totally get it. And I because I really had a great time with this movie. I loved it. I, I thought it was so much fun. As Matson says in his review of this movie, this movie fucks. And yeah, it fucks hard. It's it's an incredibly sexy movie. It's just great. It's so much fun. I, I really loved it. So four stars. Gave it the like. And closing out the diary entry, uh, I, on uh, November 29th, was feeling a little under the weather because I had gotten my second booster shot um, for COVID-19. 
I was a little down for the count. It was a little low energy and uh, not feeling too great. So I was like, I'm just going to take take the day to rest. But I wanted a long movie. I wanted to settle in for a certain kind of adventure, but something new, something I was going to pay attention to. And so I figured it was about time to cross off and finally complete the 12 year long journey in Quentin Tarantino's filmography. So I watched Jackie Brown for the first time. I remember starting this movie back when I was going through all of his filmography and falling in love with him. And uh, I watched like the first 10 minutes and I knew it wasn't the vibe for me that night. So I changed it to something else and I never went back to it. Sometimes that happens. It's very weird. But today, that day, I knew I knew I was settling in to cross off the list. And it, it is part of it is the, you know, excitement and completionist in me that is, um, you know, wanting to see all of QT's films. And now I've finally done that. A lot of people, you know, say that this is his best. I think, you know, he's a director where every fan, you know, has a different opinion on the rankings of his movies because his movies are, you know, operate in their own interesting stage. You know, like this Reservoir Dogs and Pulp or the kind of neo-noir like crime thriller. And he's got like he's having a lot of fun with the grindhouse stuff and the kung fu movies like Kill Bill and Death Proof. And then he does all of his more recent stuff, which is inspired by Westerns. So it's And I think a lot of people love this one because, you know, big fans of the hangout genre. And this is a hangout movie through and through just jiving, thriving, surviving with a bunch of characters doing what they do best, whether that is smoking weed or talking about guns or sparking up relationships or whatever it may be. Um, And I I loved it. I really loved this movie. I don't I, I won't say I share the same viewpoint as others who believe this is their favorite. Because when you hear like the allure of this movie or like there's an aura around this movie, the fact that so many people see it as their favorite because of the sheer hangout nature of it. I wouldn't say I was necessarily wanting or expecting my opinion to be changed so drastically of QT's whole film. I don't I wasn't expecting me to be like, oh, this is the best. Yes, because I have such personal attachments to films like Reservoir Dogs and Inglorious Bastards and Pulp Fiction. So I wasn't expecting that. And I, I, I will be honest, I st- I, in terms of the Hangout films that he's made, I like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood more. But this movie is feels different from the rest of his films. Not only, you know, again, the pure hangoutness of it, there's no one story, or obviously there's most of his films have several stories going on, moving it forward. You know, this movie is um, sandwiched between Pulp Fiction and Kill Bill, and both of those movies are constantly moving forward. Jackie Brown takes its time. Jackie Brown has like a uh, tenderness to it. Slow, but a purposeful slow. You know, he really is letting everything unfold as the, as it comes, you know. And there is an interesting story, you know, um, throughout, you know, the narrative. So Pam Greer plays Jackie Brown, who's a flight attendant who uh, gets mixed up in a plot to relocate an arms dealer played by Samuel L. Jackson to relocate his money from Mexico to America. And she gets caught up with local law enforcement and um, other accomplices, accomplices like a bail bondsman played um, brilliantly by Robert Forster. He was nominated for an Oscar for this role. And he's just so lovable. He's probably one of the most lovable male characters, I think, in a Quentin Tarantino movie. Um, and Pam Greer, you know, as Jackie Brown is, is just an incredible presence. I mean, if you've never seen a Pam Greer movie, definitely go back and check out her stuff like Foxy Brown 
and you know she's just always had such an incredible presence on screen and here you know she is kind of turning the power that she had in a lot of those movies as you know someone who commanded every single scene that she was in here it's kind of flipped where she has to go through the process of taking control of her life because a lot of people are setting things in motion for her at the start and as she goes along she becomes the leading force and it's so fun to watch and yeah I just I, I was so enthralled by how different this movie was for QT and uh, the performances all are great you got um, Robert De Niro I mentioned Samuel Jackson you got Michael Keaton in this movie it's really wonderful and uh, I am very excited to watch it again at some point I, I'm curious to see how often I go back to it because i I've watched Once Upon a Time in Hollywood like three or four times now, and I still really, really love that movie. So I'm curious to see how this one holds up on rewatch and if it gets better or if it kind of, you know, stays where it is. I'd say it's probably like the my sixth favorite Tarantino movie. Maybe I'll rank them on this show at one point. Um, but that's not to say it's bad. I mean, I don't think he has a bad movie. There's just movies that I am way more attached to than others. And it is interesting that, like, you know, every one of his fans, like all of his fans have different opinions on what his best is, you know. Um, and so it was fun to understand why people say this is his best or certain, you know, it's kind of a hipstery opinion in, in my mind, but uh, I, I get it. I, I understand. So glad to have finally crossed that off the list. That's it for the diary entry. Oh, I, I, I don't know if I mentioned I gave it four and a half stars and I gave it the like. OK, now that is it for the diary entry. That's it for the diary entry. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Like I mentioned up top, if you like the show, please make sure to like, comment, subscribe, leave a rating on your favorite podcasting platform of choice. Be sure to follow the show on social media. Frankly, I love movies on Facebook and Instagram. And of course, you can follow me, Josh Wall, on Letterboxd at Big Walls 21 for all recent movie reviews. Next up on the show, this coming Tuesday, another standalone episode, uh, myself and Kathy Crane, one of my former um, Ithaca College professors, are we are going to be talking about Ali, Fear Eats the Soul, and the life and career of famed German melodramatic director Rainer Werner Fassbender. Uh, it's a really wonderful conversation. I had such a great time. Uh, I love Fassbender, and uh, Kathy Crane was a very influential person for me in school. So I'm uh, very excited to get that episode out to you guys. And I hope you guys are, you know, enjoying the holiday season. And I really appreciate you guys tuning in uh, and listening to me ramble about, you know, whatever movie I watched <laughs> this week. So until next time, I'm Josh Wall. And frankly, I love movies. Movies.